So let's say it's just another day. You wake up and you check your bank balance on your phone. And then you check your train timetable on the phone or you order an Uber to take you to work. Or actually these days, maybe you order Uber Eats for breakfast because you're working from home or you look up a recipe on YouTube or something like that. So then you tell Google or Alexa or Siri to read you the news and tell you what the weather's going to be like today. And you chat with your friends on Facebook or Instagram or Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever one you use. And then you need to go to the doctors for something for an appointment. And for some strange reason, it's totally okay that you pick up the phone and you wait for a cranky receptionist to answer the phone and then she gets frustrated at you for calling for some strange reason. And then she eventually says, oh, we'll book you in for an appointment, love, but oh gosh, it's going to be a bit tough because, you know, he's going to be busy, but I'll squeeze you in. Sorry to all the receptionists that I know. In the scheme of things, it's only recently that online bookings became a thing here in healthcare. One company that's been there since the start of it all is First Group. And my guest today is Klaus Bartosch, the managing director, CEO, and co-founder. We're going to cover topics like the journey and evolution of First Group, the shifting healthcare landscape in Australia, and the emergence of different payment solutions in healthcare, and heaps more. You're definitely going to want to stick around for this one. But first, let me just put you on hold for a sec, love. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Klaus Bartosch. He's the Managing Director, CEO and Co-Founder of First Group, the ASX-listed digital health company behind the product myhealthfirst.com.au, as well as other booking platforms and portals in the veterinary and government sectors. My Health First provides an easy-to-use online search and appointment booking tool and offers a range of value-added apps and services that facilitate digital patient engagement. The team at My Health First are passionate about improving patient care as well as healthcare practice and doctor productivity. Hey, Klaus, how are you going? Hey, Pete, good and yourself. And look, you're quite right in your opening when you pointed out that, you know, how is it that in this day and age of the internet, we still have to pick up the telephone, dial a number... <laughs> to get access and interact with our healthcare services. I mean, sure, a lot of that has changed in recent years, but honestly, there are still way too many healthcare services for which that journey is the only journey available. And the way I like to think about it, Pete, is, you know, if you think about how we interact with healthcare services and booking an appointment is one of them, the vast majority of the things we do with healthcare services hasn't changed in a century. Just ponder that thought for a moment. It hasn't changed in a century. It's crazy. Isn't that unreal? Yeah, there's, there's so much that we can unpack in this chat today, both from the patient's perspective, but also too on this podcast, we've got a lot of those that work within the industry, whether they're creating the solutions or helping integrate things or working within healthcare and on the front line too. So I think as a platform that by definition, you would need to integrate with many practice management systems and EMRs and any other platforms, you'd, you've certainly been there and done that when it comes to connecting through the ecosystem. So keen to delve into that a little bit later in our chat. But first Firstly, I might get you to set the scene for us. Yourself, Klaus, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, sure. So I've been involved in the technology industry now for um, over 30 years. I am that old, sadly. Um, <laughs> I know what a modem dial sound used to be like versus the online NBN experiences we have today. Um, <laughs> but it does mean that I've also seen how technology has evolved and innovated. And prior to starting this company, I worked in another ASX-listed business called Hostworks, and our customers were all the major online companies in the country. So I got to see Seek, What If, Car Sales, Real Estate.com.au, 9MSN, Grays Online, 
all of these businesses in their early years, when they were maybe only a year into their journey, become the multi-billion dollar juggernauts that they are today and got to see them transform the way in which their industries used to operate traditionally into moving them online and got to see how profoundly valuable those conveniences they brought to consumers and businesses were. I mean, you know, you think about today, the way you buy a house or, or rent property, there was a time when you used to go to the kind of window of your real estate agent and um, browse properties or find what rentals were available. Those days are long gone. We say long gone, but the truth is it all transformed only 15 odd years ago. So it wasn't that long ago that we saw this massive transformation really take place. And like other businesses, those companies, um, and I know because I've worked very closely with them over many years, they had what we all think of was a transformational period. We forget that realestate.com.au as an example took 10 years before it took off, right? 10 years, they, the founders slaved away until all of a sudden there was a pivotal moment when things changed and they took off. Same with Seek a pivotal moment when those things change. And so it does take time to see industries transform. But that background gave me a really interesting understanding of what does it take to become a significant national online platform and what is it, what kind of things are necessary to succeed in this market other than the usual things that online or any startup needs, which is this profound tenacity that you got to just keep going. You can't stop. It's too easy to stop when things get hard. So, yeah, so that's my background is a real deep knowledge in tech and online and seeing industries transform as a result of the use of technology like this. Yeah, cool. I want to come back to that point around the pivotal point for some of those industries a bit later on. But when we look at First Group, you being co-founder and been with the business for a long time, tell us about how that came to be and the history of the company. Yeah, so my co-founder is a dentist called Rick Liu. He's now back in dentistry um, back in Canberra. He left the business relatively early in our journey. He had an idea, a brilliant idea, and it was based off of something that existed back then, no longer exists today. But you, for those who were around a decade ago, whatif.com sold last-minute accommodation inventory. You could only book two weeks out. You couldn't book longer than that. And it was selling what people referred to as distressed accommodation inventory. So vacancies in accommodation venues that might not otherwise get taken was the basis of that particular business. And the business problem that he had as a dentist was last minute cancellations, filling last minute cancellations, which he determined as a dentist was costing him 50 to 60 grand a year in lost revenue because he couldn't fill those last minute cancellations and therefore had a vacant spot in his calendar as a result. And so that was the kind of original idea that spawned off of, hey, I'm booking these accommodations online, why can't I book dental services online? He and I met and broadened the business plan into what is now First Group, which is the ability to find, book and schedule any kind of healthcare service online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And over the last several years, have added a range of additional products and services to further monetize those conveniences that we're providing to customers. But at our core, what we're seeking to do is to transform the way in which consumers interact with healthcare. And the first problem we sought to solve was how you book an appointment. I mean, it seemed ridiculous, if not insane to us, that in this day and age of the internet, which has been around for decades now, not just a year, that doctors, dentists, physios, chiros, healthcare services still required you to pick up the telephone 
during the day when they were open for business, but we were at work. And we knew from a whole range of experiences that people delayed booking their appointment to see their dentist or their GP until the problem got worse. And the reason we delayed it was because at nine o'clock at night when we remembered or we had this ailment or problem or worry, we couldn't take action. And so we had to remind ourselves to book it the next day. And many people forget. You think about your own experiences and how long you've delayed going to see a doctor. In some case, the symptom you had actually got worse. And the consequence of that meant you probably spent more time out of work, probably cost you more to deal with the problem and inevitably introduced mental health issues um, at the same time. So we knew that by solving this first problem of how you booked an appointment would have a profound impact on people's general health cost and well-being, return to work, etc. And that motivated us enormously to do that. And that's where we started. A bit of a backstory, Pete, that's worth mentioning here is that in 2013, so we were now two years into our business, I was you know, sitting in front of my TV. I happened to cycle to raise money for cancer research and have quite a large team now in the country doing that. Um, cool. And we've raised $1.6 million for cancer research so far. Wow. But in 2013, I was about to embark on a series of rides and have arthritis in my right knee and was getting quite worried that, that, that my, the swelling in my right knee would interfere with my ability to undertake these rides. So I was moaning and groaning in front of the TV at 9.30 at night and my wife reached out to me and said, hey, Klaus, why don't you just book your GP, book your appointment online now, which we could. Well, we had an app, we had an online service, and so I did. The next day, I saw my GP, and that led to the discovery that I had leukemia and was immediately hospitalized and was told by what became my oncologist that had I not scheduled that appointment, had I instead hopped on my bike that following weekend, I would have almost certainly not survived based on the rare form of leukemia that I had. So I was very, very lucky. And it's just an extreme example, but it's not the only example that we've experienced where being able to take action early, seeing a your doctor early can have profound impact on your health. And those things motivate the things that we do and the, and the business that we're, we're, um, we're creating. Yeah. I love those types of real world applications where solutions that are being utilized in healthcare, which is such an administrative burden, like looking at the entire life cycle of healthcare, there's of course the element which a clinician will provide, which is the actual performing of healthcare services, but all these bits and pieces around it that are necessary for that to happen all contribute to the health of the patient and any parts where they fall down can, as you you know point out, result in detrimental impacts to patients and, and everyone. So everyone that are working within the technology space with healthcare, even if it's something administrative like organizing patients or giving people access to things are contributing to the health of Australians, which I think is a really meaningful thing. And then probably the reason why a lot of us are in healthcare today. I was thinking as well as you were talking, I know that, you know, when we say healthcare, like first group also provide services outside of healthcare. You started in healthcare and went, you know, went a little bit broader, but we'll focus on the healthcare side of things at the moment. Outpatient's pretty broad. There's GPs and specialists and allied and dental and optometry. Do you focus on any in particular or do you cover everything? Yeah, look, good question. So we started in dental. That was probably oddly our first mistake, and I'll explain why if we get time to talk about that. Um, we are now the, a significant leading player in the dental market, but it's probably the worst place to have started. But we service a very broad range of healthcare services. So GPs, dentists, physios, chiros, a broad range of specialists, optometrists. In fact, optometry has been one of the 
fastest sectors to adopt um, our solution in the market in the history of the company. There are now some almost 70% of all independent optometrists are now on the My Health First platform. So if, if you're after booking an appointment with an independent optometrist, that is anyone other than OPSM and Specsavers, visit myhealthfirst.com.au and you'll, you'll be able to find a dentist, uh, sorry, an optometrist uh, virtually anywhere, as you will dentists and other service providers. Our service is also used by corporate health service providers, government agencies, and so in particular in the current age of vaccinations and COVID. There are a lot of local government, government agencies, pharmacies. There are some over 3,000 pharmacies on our platform today as well that are offering in particular vaccination services. And so we're doing more and more to kind of drive those conveniences, but there's a lot more to be done. There's so many more opportunities for us to increase the value and to kind of plant a seed, if you like, not just with you, but with your audience is Booking an appointment means that I've had to at some point made a decision that I should see someone. How can I help? To kind of go back further, how can I help that person realize they need to see someone? So how can you help them make that choice earlier as a key element that we're focused on, which is how can we help you understand what might be wrong? And there's some really wonderful developments globally around AI technology that are helping kind of drive those behaviors and giving you a chance to kind of make that decision early. Yeah, there's some exciting opportunities ahead, particularly with AI when it comes to that. I'm just thinking, though, I know that often the advice I would give to people when they're looking at building solutions within healthcare is to niche down as far as you can go because everyone has their own perspective on like what the best solution is. In particular, I know with an appointment booking thing, everyone's got their own preference on how it should be laid out and how it should work. How do you guys cope with dealing with such a broad range of end users that would no doubt have very different requirements to then come up with a solution that's actually scalable? That's a really interesting and quite complex question. We could spend another hour talking about that question alone, Pete. So um, <laughs> but let me try and touch on it because it really is a really great question. So first of all, in the private practice market, which is how we describe it, which are GPs, dentists, physios, chiros, etc., there are about 150,000 odd potential practices in the country across the broad range of services. We have um, 11,500 of those locations currently on our platform today. So we're doing quite well in terms of progress, albeit the vast majority that has come on in the last last three years. We spend every moment of every day trying to work out how can we make the online experience for the consumer as frictionless as possible, as easy as possible. In the practice management software market that you mentioned earlier, this is the software that practices use to run their appointment booking schedules, their clinical records, etc. There are 130 different products in use in Australia today. Now, that might seem like a lot, but there's 1,500 in use in the United States. I mean, it seems ridiculous to me that every GP or every specialist or every physio seems to think that there is a different product out there because they operate differently. They don't. They all operate very similarly. And yet, we have on average four or five different software products servicing the GP market, four or five different software products servicing the dental market, four or five serving physio, four or five serving Cairo. What? That's, um, I mean, yeah. that's kind of nuts, but it's how it's evolved. Um, yes. And and so as a company, we've had to integrate with these software products so that the appointment schedules, the, the calendars that these companies have, can be available to our platform. We've now integrated with over 50 different practice management software systems, the kind of top 50 that you want to have on our platform. 
so that we can see in real time when a physio or a chiro or a dentist or a doctor um, has an available appointment. And that's quite unique. And that's taken us a decade of investment to build and create and make robust and reliable. But that kind of booking workflow, we only focus principally on healthcare. So we have a deep knowledge of what's needed. But what's interesting about that comment is I use the term healthcare and it implies it's one market. It's not. It's like a hundred markets. Even in the GP market, there are nuances, specialized little groups of GPs that have specialist skill sets. Um, take, take psychology is probably the best example that people uh, may be able to um, more easily understand. There are psychologists who specialize in trauma, psychologists that specialize in family counseling. So, you know, so these are all very specific differences and you need to kind of build and customize what you're doing that services each of those unique categories well. And so they're the things that we're focused on, which is how can we remove friction? In the online world, if it's not easy, it will click somewhere else or click to somewhere else. And so, so making it easy is a core part of what we do. And then, of course, we've got these 50 different practice management software systems also developing and enhancing their own products. And our integrations have to be maintained against them. So, you know, it's not a, the barriers to entry in a market like this are reasonably significant because there's complexity that you just would at least, at least expect that you come across as a result of having to solve this problem. But yeah, but booking an appointment is just one of the things that we do. I was going to ask, it started with online appointments. Was that always the big picture? Well, it was always the first place we started. We always knew that the problem we were seeking to solve was how can we move more of what we do as consumers with healthcare services into online channels. And so, for example, think Uber. I book, I pay, I claim. So in Uber's case, you know, you book your car, the payment process is automatic, you know who you're dealing with. All that stuff is seamless, really seamless. Introducing more of that into the healthcare market is important. And so things like telehealth, your Medicare rebate payments, your credit card payments for your treatment, your referrals to imaging services or specialists. There's a whole range of things that healthcare businesses do to engage you that we're moving into online channels. I mean, you know, who wants to get, for example, a text message from a doctor saying, it's time for you to come back for your regular appointment, click, you know, click on this phone number to schedule my appointment. Well, how does that feel like a consumer? I mean, I've got to ring them and say, hi, it's Klaus. Oh, um, let me just look you up. You know, it's, it's such a poor experience where how much easier would it be to say, to prove a text message again, however, from your provider saying, hey, Klaus, it's time for your regular appointment. Click here to book it. And that link knows exactly who you are and who you're booking. What you can do is pick your date and time, click, click, done, three clicks and you're finished versus dialing a phone number or even getting a link to a website that I've got to now navigate and enter all my details in. Yeah, yeah. Solving these problems to make it simpler, easier and faster to access healthcare services is key to the things that we're doing, including, by the way, Pete, did you know that there are 17 cancer screenings we all should have at different periods throughout our life? And if we did, we'd live a longer, happier, healthier life. Most of us don't know anything about those things. And so we know that we can engage people proactively in thinking about their... Uh, let me backstep a little bit to give more context. You know your car needs to be serviced every 12 months or receive certain kilometres, right? 
why don't we service ourselves the same way we service cars? Why don't we get those regular checkups that we should be getting, right? And why aren't healthcare services helping us understand the things we should be doing, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I turned 50, and yes, I'm more than 50 now, the government sends me a little package to say, hey, class, it's time for your bowel cancer screening thing. That's great. But why didn't I throughout my life have my healthcare providers, my doctors, dentists are good at it, right? They know to remind you it's time for you to come back for your regular checkup, but your doctor doesn't. When was the last time you had your doctor reach out to you and say, hey, it's time for you to come back in and get a regular proper checkup? But we do it for our cars. I get the occasional letter, the occasional letter in the post, but that's uh, every now and then. It's erratic, yeah. And so we know there's a lot more that can be done here and a lot more that we can do to help healthcare services engage their patients in a meaningful way to take action around their health. That's the broader vision about what we're trying to build over time. Those within the industry know that it can be often challenging to overcome this inertia and change resistance towards adopting new technologies, particularly prior to 2020. And then COVID happened and then there was that massive burning platform and a requirement in some areas of healthcare to adopt more progressive technology and and it was funded by the government. So that was kind of another wall that was broken down, which opened up some new opportunities. So from your perspective and what you've seen within first group and looking at the adoption of digital technologies or digital solutions within healthcare have you seen that sentiment towards digital solutions change within healthcare in the past 12 months and where do you think it might be going in terms of the industry more broadly yeah look what's interesting is if someone had said to me 10 years ago klaus it would take a decade to get to where we are now to move healthcare providers to using online digital services to engage their patients, I'd have laughed at them. And I did back then. I'm like, this is going to happen. It's every other industry has been transformed. Doctors themselves appreciate this convenience of booking online. Surely they'll realize how much, how convenient this is for their patients. Of course, I forgot one important point too, really. The first is that healthcare services don't think like customer service. We don't think about customer service. They don't think about how can I make it easier for my customers to engage with me because they don't call us customers, they call us patients. And that's the kind of first problem. The bigger corporates are much, much better at that, but the individual practices are. And the second problem is your earlier point, which is has been true for the decades I've been involved in technology, which is that change is the enemy. Change is the obstacle that you need to get people to acknowledge and recognize that changing the way they normally do things has benefits to their businesses and to their engagement with their patients or customers. And it surprised me that, you know, whenever I speak to a doctor, not so much these days, these days they kind of get it. But up until only a few years ago, you know, I'd get a doctor going, oh, I'm not sure my patients would want to do this with me online. And I just sit there and go, seriously? And so you take the doctor down this road of, you know, hey, do you appreciate the convenience of being able to book your airfares online? Yeah, I do. And what about accommodation? Yeah, I do. And then at some point, I kind of say to them, well, so don't you think that it would be also convenient for you as a GP when you next need to go and see a healthcare service provider? Because they do. Wouldn't you like to be able to book them online? Oh, actually, I would. Well, okay, well, if you would, wouldn't you think your patients might like that too? And so it has always surprised me that people are so stuck in their ways that change becomes the kind of enemy or the difficulty that you have to overcome. That has, though, changed profoundly due to COVID, right? As consumers and doctors have all been forced online en masse. And so I think that 
the change I thought would take another decade might now happen in the next three years more quickly. One of the things that surprised me, though, is talk about the government's support for online services. They certainly came out and supported telehealth. But the irony is that 99% of telehealth consults by GPs are still done using the telephone, mate. They don't do it online with a video consult. They do it by telephone. And that's crazy. That ain't going to last because people are seeing people now way more likely to do Zoom chats and FaceTime chats and, you know, all those kind of meeting chats with video and are comfortable now and expected. And doctors are still haven't quite got on that bandwagon, but but increasingly you'll find they will. And increasingly we will see more and more providers being led to having to do it this way and doing more online. But the but practices are certainly adopting this tech quickly and fast nowadays. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think too, within general practice, I noticed that when you think of, I guess, a major demographic visiting their GPs would be probably of an older demographic those that are retired, those that are less tech adopting. And so as they move through and then there's the further generations that come up there, I feel like it's going to hit a lot of GPs in the face really quickly because it's, you know, you sit in the in the waiting room of a GP clinic and like I did this process recently where I'd sat in there and the receptionist was asking if they can get people's mobile numbers so they can send them text messages. And a lot of older people said, no, I don't want to. And they're happy with getting the phone call. But I think there will be this tipping point where then all of a sudden there's been this underswell of people who are visiting their GPs less and then they will go and then they'll expect all these services and the infrastructure won't be there. So I think that's another big concern. 100%. We now offer online contactless mobile Mm. check-in for your practice, which means you walk into your practice and with your mobile phone, self-arrive, self-check-in to see your doctor and go sit down. You never go to the front desk. You know, airlines figured out decades ago that they won and lost customer loyalty at check-in. Guess what we all don't do anymore at airports? And so there is a significant change happening. That's definitely certain. And and the demographics are changing. I mean, even, you know, I'm always surprised that, you know, we have people in their 80s booking appointments through our platform. So there are definitely a large number of people at that age group who do appreciate the convenience of being able to um, book online. And as that age group moves on, we'll certainly see the younger generation be the only way that, that things will get done. And it's not like they're not utilizing technology in other places too. They also catch planes. They also order their roast of the day from the Reason Workers Club on their phone, you know. So it's 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 something that is Well, once you've once you've done it this yeah. way, you won't do it any other way again. And we know that about thirty-seven percent of the patients who book appointments through our platform preferentially switch to alternate healthcare practices because they offer those conveniences. That's convenience is a huge driver for us. I mean, look, GPs are only 8% of our market. Right? They're a small percentage of our market. They're the ones we interact with more frequently than others, but it's only 8%. So there is still you know, 92% of the market that uh, needs to adopt these kind of services and solutions, and that's what we're heavily focused on. The GP market is now making terrific progress, and I think roughly – probably 60, 70% of GP practices now offer this convenience of being able to book an appointment online. But it's getting all the other ones on board that we're very much focused on. Yeah, cool. Hey, something I'm really interested on too, just to change tracks a little bit, is that you guys recently partnered with Afterpay and OpenPay. Do you think these payment solutions have potential to disrupt how we do healthcare and how we pay for healthcare? They're used surprisingly significantly by consumers 
to help fund and pay for any range of services that consumers want, in particular the kind of under 40s, if you like. But they are used extensively. And our partnership with these companies is to help do something that we're doing a lot of across multiple fronts, which is to help you know as a consumer prior to arriving to your appointment that these payment choices and options are available to you should you want to use them. And so through our booking workflow, we are letting the patient know that the particular practice offers after pay or open pay or other special payment methods so that the patient can prepare themselves for and consider using them in the upcoming consult. We know that it will lead people to making decisions earlier. It will lead people to um, to adopting their care plans when they do see a provider. So if you see a dentist, for example, and, and you go in for your regular scale and clean, and the dentist says, oh, my God, you now need a, you know, a crown or bridge or some other major work that you're now going to be potentially one, two, three thousand $3,000 out of pocket, a lot of people walk out of their dental practice now because they can't afford it. Um, these payment choices and payment options allow that patient to know that they can consider those sorts of care services and fund them through these systems. And so that's what we're doing with our platform is to just help promote the service that those practices already offer today, which is these buy now, pay later options, which are um, increasingly becoming a prominent part of um, healthcare services. Makes a lot of sense. And so thinking from the perspective of any healthcare vendors, maybe startups, early stage, those with visions to be able to create solutions, to be able to integrate with the rest of the healthcare system, connecting to practice management systems and EMRs, you've certainly been there and done that or other solutions within healthcare. Do you have any advice for others that are looking to integrate and partner within the industry to be able to build solutions that are bigger than themselves? Yeah, look, I, I meet entrepreneurs all the time wanting to start up various new platforms or products um, for the healthcare market or outside the healthcare market. And I think my kind of advice to them is fairly consistent and probably self-evident, but it's the things that people forget to do when they're starting any business, which is do your homework, do lots and lots of research, talk to lots and lots of people. I'm always astounded that I come across entrepreneurs that have spoken to three people, done very little research and have this, what they think is a great idea. But actually, they haven't, haven't done exhaustive, proper uh, market evaluation and testing and, and uh, just do your homework because, oh, my God, the, you know, when I think back to when we started, we did lots of that, by the way. And even though we did lots of it, we made five pivotal mistakes right from the outset. And as I mentioned to you, that starting in dental was one of them. The reason why starting in dental was one of them, by the way, there's several, but I'll start with the easiest. I'll just talk about one of them, which is the easiest one, which is that how often do you see a dentist? Well, supposed to be six months, every six months. But. How often do you see them, Pete? How often do you go? Oh, look, don't, don't put me on well, the spot. Do you go? <laughs> oh, look, I, I haven't recently. I'd say closer to every 12 months. Yeah, or is it every yeah. year or two or three, which is more common? I mean, a third of the country never goes, oh, by the way. Wow. Surprising, but never goes because of cost. And the vast majority go every one or two or three years. And so if you interact with a platform that infrequently, from an online perspective, that's kind of problematic, Right. That was one of the reasons why starting in dental was problematic because we kind of started at a place where you infrequently engaged in that audience. But doing your homework is just so critical and don't give up. I mean, you've got to have a bloody mindedness about your vision and direction and what you're doing and a tenacity that people give up too early, too soon when they encounter a problem. If you do your homework well, and I've seen some start entrepreneurs recently do some phenomenal amount of homework to get their business model right and their product plan right and their 
minimal viable product description right and they've researched and tested it and then they go to market. The other thing I'd say is there are a lot of startup facilities out there that can provide startup funding and assistance and people should reach out and, and uh, utilize them. I mean, there's some, you know, Slingshot is an example of one of the incubators that are out there. They are terrific and um, people should absolutely leverage those kind of incubators. They're very, very helpful and very useful and help you navigate the complexities of um, starting up a business without having to have had, you know, having kind of the, the problems that others um, have already encountered many times before. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. And, and the conversations around raising capital, they're conversations that happen quite frequently within the uh, the Talking Health Tech community online that we have. So some good advice for other entrepreneurs and the guys at Slingshot are definitely worth uh, having a chat with, I agree. Just to round things out, then Klaus will start to wind up. Putting all that into perspective, what we've talked around the journey and getting to this point, what is the future for healthcare and patient engagement from your perspective? I think we're going to see significant increases in virtualized service delivery and service engagement. And so as an example, there's a terrific app in the US called khealth.ai is the um, website URL. It's a app that's had some 60 million US invested into it. And it allows you to have an initial consult with a AI platform. Right? And so, and it, it is incredibly thorough. And what it does is it helps you figure out the symptom or the worry you have. So it can accurately diagnose, I think now, almost 300 different symptoms, including mental health issues, and then prompts and guides you to taking action. And so I think we're going to see more and more of these kinds of platforms helping you virtually interact that then triggers you into seeing a healthcare service provider sooner. Uh, we're going to see the proverbial motor vehicle service manual for consumers come out where you are provided a guidance tool that proactively engages you and says, hey, Pete, it's now time for your you know, 12-month blood pressure check or now it's time for your you know, skin cancer check or whatever it is. And, and those things are going to play a big role. And so I do see there being some significant kind of evolution and development where your own genetics being assessed globally against other similar people, providing you guidance around your risk areas, helping you manage your healthcare journey proactively rather than the way we all do it today, which is reactively. When I've got my problem, I go and see someone. Well, why don't I do something about that before my symptom arrives and get in early? Because as I learned the hard way in 2013, but fortunate, which was because I could take action at 9.30 at one night and book an appointment to see my GP, I saved my life. But had I not done that, had I been like most men and delayed access to healthcare until you know the edge of death, I might not have survived and might not have lived. And so, and so I do think getting people in early, educating them more and having the kind of online tools to do that to make it simpler, easier, faster, better is the future of digital healthcare for consumers. And, um, and that's where we see the opportunity. And I think there's a lot more that can and will be done over the coming years to really uh, completely improve that whole experience for not only, you know, our immediate family and the people around you, but also the other family members that most of us now have being your fluffy pets. And so um, we do that for the pet market as well as you're aware. So you can manage the health of all of your family members, including your fluffy ones. Love it. That's such a, um, a good vision for the future ahead for healthcare for consumers and fluffy things. 
And just to summarize then the first group, is there anything that we should look out for in the next couple of months from you guys or in 2021 as some exciting features or products or enhancements? So this year, this calendar year for us is all about executing on the major landmark agreements that we signed up over a year ago and that got stalled a bit by COVID. So these are agreements with Benistar Group, which is expanding our presence in the psychology market, um, agreements with St. Vincent's Health, which is expanding our presence in the specialist market, our um, agreement with Medibank Private, which is expanding our presence in the dental market and beyond. And it's just continuing that kind of consolidation and expansion and dominance in key markets that's really important for us. We're also pretty active in um, helping our customers deal with the kind of upcoming vaccination program. So, you know, the COVID vaccine and flu vaccines that are going to be issued this year and helping them with that. So this year is just about consolidation and expansion on that front and moving ourselves more quickly towards cash flow break even and then kind of expanding beyond that. I think it'll be a good year of um, growth and consolidation and looking forward to um, us bringing some more new innovative technologies and systems to market in the coming quarters. Fantastic. I'll put some details of First Group and all the things you guys are working on in the show notes of this episode and on the website for people to check out if they want to find out more. Look, good luck with all of those initiatives, Klaus, and it's been great to chat with you and delve into all those different areas. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.